Missing in Yosemite, the Stacy Heiress Disappearance. Hey guys, I hope everyone's having a great day. But if you're not, I've got you covered. Today I'm going to be sharing a truly strange and tragic story. So sit back, relax, be sure to elbow that like button in the face, and subscribe to the channel if you're new, it helps us grow. Today's story takes us back to the summer of 1981, when 14-year-old Stacy Aris went on a guided tour in Yosemite National Park in California. She wore retainers on both her upper and lower teeth, and styled her shoulder-length blonde hair in an iconic Farrah Fawcett style. She had also attended prom with her boyfriend shortly before this trip. Despite only being 14 years old, Stacy was a known smoker. This is a judgment-free zone here. We all make questionable choices at that age, but most of us live long enough to regret them. Stacy, her father George, and six others took off on a four-day trip through Yosemite's backcountry with two guides. The group rode horseback along the High Sierra Loop Trail at Tuolumne Meadows and arrived at the campsite on Friday afternoon, July 17th. The campsite is one of five within the High Sierra 49-mile loop, with each roughly a day's hike apart. There are nine tent cabins which can accommodate up to 34 people. However, there is no running water or electricity. With the group's plan being to rest for the remainder of the day, Stacy opted to change into a t-shirt, off-white windbreaker, maroon and white shorts, and flip-flops to explore the trail with her Olympus camera. She invited her dad to join, he declined but suggested she wear hiking boots instead of flip-flops. My source material conflicts on this though. Some say she stayed in her flip-flops while others say she changed into her boots. Donning only her camera, cigarettes, and a pack of gum, Stacy heads toward one of the lakes in the area. Another hiker from the group named Gerald, an older man in his 70s, joined Stacy for about 20 to 30 minutes before stopping to rest while she continues on the trail. Back at the camp, the group's tour guide remembered noticing her standing on a rock about 50 yards south of the trail. If Stacy was headed to Sunrise Lake, which was the nearest lake and exactly a mile away, she would have made it to the lake in about an hour, probably less. I think this is most likely the location Stacy would have gone. It is very picturesque and accessible by simply following the trail. Maps show other bodies of water in the area. However, in the summer months, they likely wouldn't have even existed. They probably would have been dried up. A few hours later, another group of hikers approached the campsite and were asked if they had seen a girl matching Stacy's description, but they had not. At this point, her father, the tour group, and the staff from the High Sierra Camp began scouting the area looking for Stacy. They contacted the park authorities and searched well into the night, but were unsuccessful. The next morning, an official search by the National Park Service began. The search party included around 100 people and was comprised of volunteers, search and rescue members, and National Park employees. Yosemite National Park consists of 1,200 square miles, but the search grid was 5 square miles around the campsite. The grid was established by the natural barriers in the area such as cliffs, ravines, and large rivers, as well as the reasonable distance they believed 14-year-old Stacy could have gone since she was last seen. Searchers were paid $4 an hour, which equates to about $13 an hour today, and rock climbers were paid $10 an hour, which would be about $32.65 an hour today. Half were paid searchers and half were unpaid volunteers. Three helicopters also assisted in the 11-day search. Park officials reported the total cost of the effort to be about $55,000. To put this into perspective, that is close to $180,000 today. 
The Gabby Petito case, which was extremely high profile and searched over several months, took a full year to reach $180,000 in police payroll. Unlike the Gabby Petito case, sadly, Stacy Harris has never been found. 11 days may not seem like a very long time to search, but all reports suggest searches and team members were very detailed. The area Stacy went missing, Tuolumne Meadows, is the largest elevation meadow in the Sierra Nevada at 8,600 feet. Data for the temperatures in this area in 1981 are not exact, however, due to this altitude and time of year, temperatures can range from 90 degrees during the day to as low as 47 degrees at night. If she were lost or hurt stuck somewhere in that 5-mile radius, she should have been heard or found in those 11 days. Remember, Stacy was in a windbreaker in shorts. Temperatures at night would have been absolutely miserable for her. One volunteer brought a German Shepherd dog to aid in the search, however, nothing was found. German Shepherds, according to the handler, are best at tracking humans in general, whereas Bloodhounds are the type of dogs you would give a specific scent sample to, and they could track the scent as you see in the movies. From what I can tell, no Bloodhounds or cadaver dogs have been brought to the site, which is a huge miss for investigators. Hopes for finding Stacy Harris alive are not high but her family deserves to know what happened. Cadaver dogs are able to pick up a scent within minutes of the death or even years later. In some studies, they have found 25-year-old skeletonized remains. Cadaver dogs were first used by Connecticut police in the 1980s, so it is reasonable that the Park Service would be aware and be able to find a cadaver dog handler willing to explore the area. Had the Park Service utilized these tactics in the late 80s, hell, even in the early or even late 90s, they may have had a chance of locating her body. Again, I think this is a huge mistake by investigators and calls into question if the right people were put in place to even solve this case. Now this is where things get especially frustrating. There are some big inconsistencies in the reporting of this case. First, some reports say Stacy's lens cap was found inside the tree line by the lake, but Park Superintendent Robert Binuiz says not a single clue was found. And another National Park Service ranger, Bob Johnson, said nothing significant was found as well. So which is it? If the lens cap was found, that would give us confirmation Stacy had at least made it to the area. Surely everyone would consider that a clue. If they didn't find it, well, that is even more alarming so many reported it as found, without a single source to confirm it. Second is Gerald Stewart, the last person to interact with Stacy. He was the elderly gentleman in his 70s who accompanied her for the first 20 to 30 minutes of her walk. I say in his 70s because reports give his age anywhere from 72 to 77. Missing his age by a few years may not seem significant, but his name was withheld until years later. Nothing in the source material points to Gerald being a suspect, so why wasn't his name given? Or if his identity was to be shielded, why not just say that? How can we be sure that he was vetted properly if his age wasn't even accurate? Now, surely a healthy 14-year-old Stacy could defend herself from a man in his 70s at 5'5 and 120 pounds. She could have at least drawn attention or left behind evidence of a struggle. I don't believe Gerald to be involved. However, the details of his age and name being incorrect in the reporting of this case with so few details leaves me questioning the thoroughness of this investigation. So, with that in mind, let's talk more about the investigation, or lack thereof. In addition to the 11-day search effort, the Park Service distributed missing posters of Stacy throughout the park. The first thing to rule out is Stacy being a runaway. Don't forget this is the 1980s, a time when all police reports act as if all missing children must be runaways because why else would they disappear? 
Officials do seem to have looked into this, citing that Stacy was having some family or school troubles, but she was 14. What 14-year-old isn't having family or school troubles? She was also said to be missing her boyfriend. Okay, sure, totally normal. But that's no indication that she ran off to meet him or to some sort of public phone. Remember, cell phones were something only thought of in sci-fi TV shows at this point in time. Ultimately, between wearing flip-flops, inviting her dad to accompany her to the lake, then a fellow group member, and the lack of belief from family she would run away based on these family and school troubles, officials do not believe Stacy ran away on her own accord. Besides this, the National Park Service doesn't seem especially forthcoming with their information. Documents released by the park mostly include short newspaper articles, pictures of Stacy provided by the family, copies of the missing poster used around the park, and a few letters written between park service departments regarding Stacy's search. Visitors are supposed to get a permit to use the backcountry, and we know investigators used these wilderness permits to determine which hikers were in the area at the time of Stacy's disappearance. These hikers were contacted to find potential witnesses, but we have no idea if these efforts yielded useful information or if they even spoke to anyone. The Fresno Bee reported foul play has not been ruled out per a park official after the intense 11-day search was called off. Park Superintendent Benuiz added the Park Service would still like to hear from any backpacker who may have been in the area at the time. Investors and journalists have submitted Freedom of Information Acts, or FOIAs, for the files, but all requests have been denied. Why? A denial response to the FOIA request says the requested records were withheld in accordance with Exemption 7A of FOIA exemption. 7A is basically to protect information for law enforcement purposes to protect the investigation or possible trial. But this makes absolutely no sense. Stacy Aris has been missing for 41 years. What could possibly be in those files that shouldn't be released? Her family deserves to know all of the information available, and they haven't seen them either. Does the National Park Service really consider this case open? If so, how? There appears to be no genuine movement or investigation that I can find. Researching this case had brought to light a disturbing fact. The federal government does not track the number of missing persons in national parks. Let me say that again. The federal government does not track the number of missing persons in national parks. Experts believe that at least 1,600 individuals go missing while visiting national parks throughout the United States. Seems like quite a lot of disappearances that the National Park Service would like to keep track of, right? We know the Park Service is inefficient, and at the time, communication across departments was particularly poor. Just the week before Stacy's disappearance, flights for water sampling were taking place in the area. One of the memos in the files is from Chief Ranger for Administrative Flights Charles W. Went. Chief Ranger Went wrote to the superintendent about these flights as no itinerary was provided to know where they would be and when. There was no memorandum in place which requested prior approval for all administrative flights, which the sampling team did not adhere to. Had these flights been in the area at the time of Stacy Aris, aerial search crew, lives could have been lost. I am empathetic to the time. Electronic communication was nothing like it is today and records weren't digitized. I can understand the difficulty in keeping track of statistics without the aid of electronic reporting. But with today's technology, this is downright unacceptable. Okay, let's talk theories. First things first, we are talking about the wilderness, so let's discuss wild animals. Of course, animals could be a possibility. 
Yosemite has lots of wildlife someone could come across. Rattlesnakes, bobcats, black bears, coyotes, mountain lions, and more are all known to live in the park. All right, black bears. They're the biggest on this list and the one I would be most afraid to run into. However, there are no reports of anyone being killed or seriously injured by a bear in Yosemite. That doesn't mean this doesn't happen, though. These bears are pretty leery of people, but happy to steal your food. In fact, the same is true for most of these animals. Bobcats, coyotes, and mountain lions are unlikely to attack as long as you keep your distance and don't provoke them. Most importantly, though, had any of these attacked Stacy, there would undoubtedly be evidence left behind. We would have blood, clothes, jewelry, her camera, or bones if she were the victim of an animal attack. For this reason, I feel it's pretty safe we can rule out the animal theory. But like I said, nothing, nothing can be ruled out entirely. Yosemite has lots of ledges, crevices, and slippery areas. It's entirely possible Stacy slipped or got hurt, but I can't help think she would have been found in the search or by one of the many park visitors in later years. Again, had cadaver dogs been used, we could rule this out with more certainty. Other theories believe Stacy's disappearance could be the result of something supernatural. Stacy seemingly disappeared without a trace, which leaves the door open for an alien or some sort of other supernatural speculation. But I'll let you draw your own conclusions on that. While more than a few serial killers have been known to use national parks for their business, no known serial killers were active in the area at the time of Stacy's disappearance, though the possibility of her being abducted cannot be ruled out. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. In fact, the lack of evidence in this case is what makes it so mystifying. It is not impossible that it was a crime of opportunity, carried out by an organized killer with access to resources that allowed them to buy time or hide and destroy evidence. Could this be a National Park Service member or someone in the park system protecting someone else? This would explain the absence of evidence and the lack of transparency on this case. Why else would anybody withhold information on a 40-year-old case? Why not allow someone else to try their hand? Jurisdiction for crimes like this are automatically federal, meaning the local law enforcement have no authority to work the case unless requested. Crimes that take place on federal lands within National Park Service can be handed over to the FBI, but as far as I can tell, their help was never requested, nor was help from local law enforcement. Is the National Park Service protecting a killer, or just their ego? I know what many are probably asking at this point in the story. So Swamp Dweller, what else can be done? We know so little, and the few facts we have in this case conflict, but there are some avenues that still can be explored. This case needs to be examined by an experienced cold case detective. We need all the information regarding the Stacy Aris case to be made available. Divers should search Divers should search the Sunrise Lake for Stacy's possessions or remains. There has also been no mention of this occurring, and again I have to ask why? If finding a missing 14-year-old girl isn't a priority worth shelling out funding for, what is? While the lake certainly isn't small, an effort could be made with just a few searchers to cover that water rather quickly. There is so much that could be hidden in that body of water, just waiting to be uncovered. If Stacy, If Stacy's remains could be found, there is a chance that she could be identified. Forensics have changed drastically since 1981, Samples from Stacy's close relatives would allow investigators to run a search against all open Jane Doe cases throughout the United States. If Stacy was abducted or ran away by choice, she could be anywhere in the world. She might have descendants we don't know about. 
Forensic genealogy could also be used to compare her relatives' DNA to a public database such as GED Match, such as GEDmatch, to find unknown descendants. If you've used... If you... If you've used any take-home DNA kits, you can upload your DNA profile to GEDmatch and opt-in for it to be used with these types of searches. You never know, it could be you that helps identify a Jane or John Doe who would never have found their way home. If you have any information regarding the Stacey Harris case, you can call or text the National Park Service tip line or submit a tip on their website at nps.gov. Well guys, that's it for the disturbing story of Stacey Aris. What do you guys think of this one? I'd love to hear your thoughts and theories in the comments down below. That's all for this episode, but I will have something new in no time. And don't forget, there's always my second channel, The Dark Side Podcast. Just don't forget to show that like button just a little bit of love and elbow it in the face so it knows that you mean it. Be sure to subscribe if you're new as it helps the channel grow. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please give us a five-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. I have plenty more stories just like this one coming very soon. If you have a suggestion you'd like to make, be sure to send it on in. Be sure to join me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.